my daughter put my dad's job is cutting the grass and my huh. son my son put my dad's job is working Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 64 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Curtis McHale. Hello. Reuven Lerner. Hello there. Ash Dryden. Hi there. Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we're going to be talking about social media for freelancers. How active are you guys on your social media? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I'm probably the most prolific Twitterer of all of us. I would guess you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly go into heads down mode probably once a day where I don't post anything for extended, extended periods. Yeah. (laughs) I put funny odds and ends that people say on Twitter and then... um, I, I do interact with people on Twitter, so if you if you tweet at me, then I'll probably reply. If you say something that is more interesting than just yes or no, but yeah, other than that, I, I'm really not on there too much. So I'm I'm going to be at the other end of the spectrum from Ash, and I'm I think I might have sent a tweet once, and uh, I mean I'm starting to get convinced that it's worth doing. But so far, that's like, yeah, I, I would say I, and once a year I send out a note on Facebook saying to everyone, uh, thanks for all the happy birthday wishes. So if there's anywhere I'm, I'm active at all, it's on LinkedIn. But even there, it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, pretty moderate. Wow. So yeah, on Facebook, I always chastise my wife for saying happy birthday because then I get like a million updates in a day and they all email me because I check it so infrequently that I just have it set to email me. Yeah, mindset to email me, and then I use SaneBox, and SaneBox sorts it all off, so I never see him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be yeah. sure to send you a happy birthday there, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I usually get my happy birthday wishes like a week or two after my birthday. Oh, I've got a bazillion updates here. <laughs> I've had friends that said wrong birthdays on like Facebook and stuff and then you'll see who really aren't your friends because they'll see the update on Facebook that says it's your birthday or on Skype that says it's your birthday you get a bunch of, bunch of birthday wishes from people that have no idea that it's really not your birthday <laughs> oh that's that terrible is- <laughs> that's not helpful I also that's why have- I always say that Skype informs me it's your birthday is that correct or are you lying <laughs> Yeah, the the other thing with Facebook is that uh, the frequency with which I check Facebook is directly proportional to how much work I'm doing on an app that integrates with Facebook, because then I'm logging into it regularly. Otherwise, forget it. So we've talked about Twitter and Facebook. We've mentioned LinkedIn. Um, Which one's kind of the primary uh, network for you guys? Twitter, definitely for me. I actually recently deleted my Facebook account, and I haven't had a LinkedIn account in quite a while. Yeah, Twitter for me too. I have uh, I have Twitter go to Facebook and all it does is piss off my family because they have no idea what I'm talking about. Except for like the one in a hundred tweets that are about my daughters and they get it. But Twitter is definitely it for me. I, I basically only use LinkedIn. Again, I sort of look at Twitter every so often, look at Facebook every so often. But if I'm going to post something, I guess I take 
LinkedIn as being very serious, you know, serious and business-like. So when I'm going to be giving a talk at a conference, when I'm going to be publishing something, then I put an update on LinkedIn. And so that's sort of the appropriate medium for it. But even there, I'm not, not quite much of a heavy user. It's much more individual messaging there. See, LinkedIn stuff, and I, Curtis, I know you haven't said what yours is yet, but the LinkedIn stuff fascinates me because you're, I mean, that's the impression, right? It's supposed to be some business networking thing. And I've heard of people that have gotten leads through it and found work through it, like actually closed a sale through LinkedIn. But the only thing it does for me is send recruiters to my email. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> the only thing LinkedIn has ever done for me is, I guess, a recruiter that always had like a quarter of the budget things actually needed. And when I, you know, said my hourly rate, they like, oh, we were expecting $25 an hour. And I, and I keep <laughs> contacting me and people recommend me for weird things like, I don't know, SEO and hospitals and stuff. And I've never worked for a hospital in my life. <laughs> That's the worst. recommending me for it. Well, you can type whatever, I think. I was at a conference. I think someone, I forget what it was, but it was funny. It was like drug running or <laughs> hitman or something. Because you can recommend for anything and there's no filter. I don't, know if they go, <laughs> I don't know if they go back and do this. But I mean. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I get job leads for like, VMware and stuff, and I haven't done that stuff in like seven or eight years. I just got recommended for WordPress this morning, which is accurate, but then one of the auto-filled recommendations was for a friend of mine who is like a hardcore mobile developer with mobile products, and he was recommended for, uh, was it SEO and Drupal or something? And he doesn't do either of those things at all, and hasn't, to my knowledge, ever. But that was the pre-filled ones. The the whole LinkedIn recommendation system, I think, is purely a play to get more people to click because you get email saying hey so-and-so has recommended you for such and such a technology and in many cases i've never heard of the person and i haven't used the technology in a decade but i get the email and i'm sure that many of the people who get such mail messages then click on the link to find out more about the person or more about the technology or just double check their linkedin profile and you know more clicks is better for them yeah that's what i did this morning i say i got recommended for wordpress and actually or looked at my LinkedIn profile for a bit. I keep thinking about deleting it, but I don't know. It's the closest thing to a resume I suppose I have at this point. So, so one thing that a friend of mine, um, Cliff Ravenscraft, you can find him at podcastanswerman.com. One thing that he's done is that he decided that he wanted to be uh, recommended and known for on LinkedIn specific things. And so what he did is he actually went to his audience and said, these are the five things that I want to be recommended for that to show up at the top of my recommendations list. And so that's what a lot of people have done for him. And so those top things aren't necessarily in the order that he wants them in, but I'm pretty sure the top five are the top five that he wants. And so I, I thought that was pretty interesting where, you know, if, if you want to be known, known for that kind of thing, you know, talk to your friends and see if you can get recommended for that. Yeah, I think you gotta decide if it's worth it, though, right? Like, I I know friends who recommended LinkedIn to me as this amazing thing as well that you'll get tons of leads from, and I have not. I've only got one lead that was the terrible one. I've got more leads from Twitter. If I think about the clients that I'm running, even over the last six months, I've probably picked up about twenty to twenty to forty thousand dollars of leads from Twitter. Oh wow! Wow! So yeah, and it's people I met. Some you know I only interacted with three or four times, and they know me and read my blog and recommended a client to me because it was outside of their skill set and that project specifically was fifteen thousand dollars yeah well how much interaction do you do on linkedin have you tried putting any time into it to see if you can get leads or not in a long time 
I did for a while and I was in a bunch of groups, but it's been quite a while. I'm, say, more active on Twitter and actually Google Plus than anything else. Yeah, because that's my understanding is the best way to get involved or to get leads and stuff is to get involved in the groups where people are talking about business and stuff. And then, you know, you're, you're talking to your target market and, and providing them with value because you have the expertise that they need and then they hire you. Yeah, there's only so much time, right? Like, there's so many social networks to participate in that how, at some point, you just got to draw the line in the sand and say, I'm not going to bother. So, I use LinkedIn as my resume. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I use LinkedIn sort of, not only as a resume, but also as a tool when I meet people at conferences. Instead of swapping business cards, or if I swap business cards, then I basically get rid of the business card and I just make sure to connect to them on LinkedIn. And then... First of all, sort of reminds them who I am and they know something more about me than they can just get from, from the business card or even a short conversation. And then I have information about them. But I've, I've definitely gotten leads through it. I've definitely gotten new clients through it. People who contact me, and maybe it's just a thing in Israel, but there have definitely been people who have contacted, made initial contact. Hey, we see that you're a Rails developer. We see that you do training or consulting in these technologies. Uh, could you give us a call? Now, my phone number is pretty easily available on my website. And there's a link to my website from LinkedIn, but for whatever reason, they prefer to reach out to me that way. And you know, I'm certainly not going to complain. Yeah, that's just people being lazy in general, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know I was just on app.net, and someone asked how much the pricing of Evernote was for a certain service, and I scrolled to the service and looked, and it said pricing in big, bold letters. They just <laughs> couldn't be bothered to go look. That was it. And that's all of a sudden, awesome. Let me Google that for you, Link. It was, yeah, there was... Um... I don't know how long ago it was now, maybe two or three years ago, some guy wrote up a big blog post about he about how he basically scammed Twitter and so not scammed Twitter, but used Twitter to to make some money. So he had a bot that ran and looked for people to ask questions, what's a good book on whatever topic? And then he had a script that would run out to Amazon, search on the topic, find the first link, and then send send that link with his Amazon uh, affiliate ID in it. He said he made, I, I forget how much money he made, but same type of thing. People that are either too lazy to look or whatever. It's simple for bots to deal with some of that stuff. That's wild. So let's talk about Twitter for a minute. Uh, Curtis, you said you've gotten business off of Twitter. It sounds like Ash is pretty active on Twitter. How do you guys use it and and what benefits do you get from it? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely gotten work from it. I've gotten speaking engagements from it. I've been hooked up with people um, that I normally wouldn't have access to uh, because of Twitter. So because I uh, obviously am a freelancer, like I, I don't have coworkers. So I kind of use Twitter as like my coworkers. Like it's the uh, it's like the watering hole. Right. So I go there mm-hmm. to socialize every now and again. Um, but I also go there um, for help, like if I'm doing a research project, I'll ask people, you know, do you know somebody who does this? Or if I have friends that are looking for jobs, you know, I'll post them. And, and that's helps like me connect other people uh, with people who have things that they need. Um, so I use it uh, mostly as kind of like an everything ground, everything social, um, everything business related. I don't have a separation between my social and like my business stuff. Yeah, neither do I. I've got a business account officially, but I don't think I've checked it in a long time. I run two, I guess, one for the WordPress tutorial site and one for me, and that's about it now. And yeah, I just talk about what I'm going to talk about, and that's what happens. But I found even just helping people out, I had a guy message me this morning who felt that I was the 
best person to talk to about his brand new freelance client, which is his first freelance client. We direct message for probably 20 minutes on advice and you know nine things he didn't think that he should be charging about instead of giving it away for free hours upon hours of free work. Yeah. So, so that's one thing that I'm a little bit curious about because uh, I know that a lot of people out there in, in at least the Ruby community that I talk to, we don't see eye to eye on, on a lot of things, you know, on, on coding and stuff we, we usually do, but on some of these other things we don't. And so I tend to tone that back a little bit because I don't want to fight on Twitter. Does that make oh, sense? Should I, should I just put it out there anyway? Well, there's tons of discussions I don't even bother with that I see go by online, you know, discussions that even say my religious view may not agree with other people. And there's just no point. There's a whole wealth of things you can't have a reasonable conversation with online that you could talk about face to face easily. Yeah. Well, especially on Twitter. I mean, 100, mm-hmm. 120 characters isn't going to cut it. Have a deep not much room there for a, <laughs> a nuanced discussion is not Twitter's forte. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have tough conversations on Twitter a lot. Uh, I think that maybe the nature of the things that I talk about is a little bit different than a lot of other people. I mean, I talk a lot about issues around diversity in tech and why we don't have enough and the kinds of problems that are facing um, marginalized people in tech. And it's actually been a really great place to have those conversations because that's where everybody is. So it's it's been helpful um, to reach people on a larger than one one on one basis for me, um, because the one on one stuff can get really tiring when you're talking about something that needs to have a lot of progress um, and requires a lot of discussions and realizing that not everybody's always going to participate in those, but they get the value out of it just by observing. So my take on it is a little bit different. There are definitely some things that I center myself on or I specifically don't get involved with uh, because I can tell that they're not going to go well, but I do have a lot of tough discussions on Twitter too. Yeah, that makes sense. The other thing is is that a lot of times I'll get on, I'll check it, I'll reply to people, and then I'm gone again. And so if those conversations are going to happen with me, it's going to be every like three or four hours <laughs> you get a response. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you as a like non-Twitterer, uh, so I mean, as I told you guys in the pre-call, I'm currently in Beijing uh, teaching a course here. And so of like for the first time in my life, I feel like, wow, there are all these things that I'm seeing and I'd love to share it with people, but you can't because it's blocked. <laughs> Twitter and Facebook are just 100% blocked in the country. So it's sort of like I, I, I'm only fond of it now that it's actually absent. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that where some countries may censor or even completely block some of these social networks. I'll, I'll tell you the funniest little anecdote from that. So I'm, I'm teaching a, an advanced Python course here. And so typically when I'm teaching in Israel, if I give a break, everyone immediately goes to Facebook or to Twitter. And here, they don't because <laughs> they can't. So maybe they're checking their mail, but they're, they're generally like, I know what they're not doing at least, both when I'm teaching and when they're on break. Interesting. See, that's interesting to me because like I speak at a lot of conferences and I kind of, rely on uh, the power of other people using Twitter to be able to get my message out there a little bit further and, and help raise awareness. So do you feel like that hinders some of your network building or like your visibility because people aren't able to share that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, you're asking like, does it limit the visibility where I'm now in China or when I'm back home in Israel? Uh, does it limit the visibility of the work that you do? So if you don't have people that are talking about your work uh, in front of a lot of people who don't necessarily uh, know of you or are familiar with your work, do you find that it kind of 
doesn't proliferate as much as if you're in a country that Twitter or Facebook is not only allowable, but a lot more used? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I can really make a fair comparison because, I mean, I was invited to teach one course at one company here. So, you know, it's the 20 people, 30 people in the room who would really be sort of spreading the information. And for all I know, they are. I know there's some sort of Twitter equivalent within China in Chinese that, you know, is obviously owned or controlled by the government to some degree. But I mean, you know, the, the fact that I don't have people sort of rebroadcasting what I'm doing in a, on a general basis because I put it on Twitter, it probably does limit my visibility to some degree. I mean, that's one of the things I'm, I'm hearing from you. And that, that's one of the things that I'm starting to sort of hear from other people. You know, I'm, I'm coming around to, uh, what is it, you know, 2005, this Twitter thing might actually take off. And so I don't know exactly when they were established, but I'm guessing it was around then. And so maybe it would be useful as an additional sort of way of getting out what I'm trying to say. Uh, at the same time, I feel like, well, I've got this monthly column in Linux Journal, and supposedly they have, what, like 80,000, 90,000 subscribers. So I feel like I've already got a bunch of people hearing some things that I have to say each month. So I don't feel quite as compelling of a need. Sure. So what about Facebook? Ash just quit Facebook. Is anyone using Facebook actively for anything like this? I use it a bit to help my wife's kind of personal blog and business get out. She writes more about like family stuff and finance and food and stuff. So about for that to help her, but past that, not really. Yeah, I mean, I have a Facebook page for Ruby Rogues. And every so often I'll go on there and I'll ask questions. You know, what was your favorite episode and why or this or that? And I always get the same responses from everyone. Which, which means that I don't get any responses from anyone. So uh, <laughs> I, I just I think it really depends on your audience, but but there it's just not a big place for folks like this to engage. And the Ruby on Rails, there's a Ruby on Rails group on uh, Facebook, and I've checked that out. And you know sometimes there's something good there, but most of the time, you know I could take it or leave it. So it's it's kind of interesting how the different communities have kind of gravitated toward one and not the other. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's been an email list in Israel for uh, Ruby and Rails developers for a good number of years now, probably close to 10 years, uh, certainly since, say, 2004, 2005. And it was really active for a while, You know, really active being, say, a few dozen posts uh, a week. And about two years ago, someone set up a Facebook group, probably quite innocently, like, hey, let's have something on Facebook as well. And slowly but surely, I've seen that the Facebook group has kind of sucked the life out of the uh, mailing list. So, and I, I think it has led to different dynamics, um, where people are interacting less. Also, the Facebook group has slightly different rules where you're not allowed to post that you're, that you have open positions and jobs. So that's kind of stifled some of the decision, uh, some of the discussion as well, I'd say. Uh, yeah, audience is weird. Uh, so Facebook, I tried to do some, uh, you hear people doing some businessy stuff on Facebook and I've never been able to to figure out how to do it. I mean, I haven't put a bunch of time in it, so I'm not saying it can't work or wouldn't work for me, but I I definitely think our audience, what for Ruby rogues, I mean, you're talking about pretty high level geeks. So app.net, if they're into that and Twitter, seems like it would be a great place uh, for those people to connect. But on Facebook, I've heard a couple of games like uh, iOS games that market, to consumers and not to geeks get a lot of um, a lot of good feedback and can push their game ahead using Facebook groups as opposed to Twitter or other mediums just because that's I don't want to say normal people but that's where a lot of the normal people are. Oh, I think I think if you're say under thirty, like the the younger you get, 
the more likely it is that Facebook is your primary means of communication. And so you're going to want and expect information to be around on Facebook and not pay much attention to it elsewhere. I mean, that's, that's my experience for my kids, at least. Hmm. Yeah, I used it. I guess I am sort of still using it for my WordPress site, the tutorial site, but it gets very little traffic unless I was paying for ads. And then I get like a couple likes on my page a day when I was paying for ads for a couple weeks. When I'd go visit the pre- people's like actual their Facebook profile, they had I don't think they were anywhere near my target market. It's like a, you know, a mom with a bunch of kids and she loves quilting, liking my WordPress tutorial stuff. And I, so I stopped paying for ads, needless to say. That's interesting because Rob Walling talked about using Facebook's ad, using Facebook ads as one of his best converting ad networks, one of like two or three that performed really well for, he uses for Hittail and SEO tool, but I try to do ads on Facebook, but it, I don't know. It, ads there were weird. I think ads, was it there or LinkedIn? One of the places was really weird. I think LinkedIn was the worst because you had to go based on job title. So you had to try to, I don't know, hit CEOs or CXOs or whatever and try to pimp to them. But Facebook ads were supposed to be fairly decent and they're not supposed to be super expensive. But I mean, I have no idea how any of that would convert to leads for a yeah, service. Yeah, it certainly wasn't business. expensive. I was just trying to build the kind of the community on Facebook, but. Like I said, probably 80% of the people that liked it, when I clicked through their profile, I had a hard time finding anything that was in any way related to what I would figure was a target market. So, Wait, Jeff, can I, just understand, can I just understand what you said a little better? You're telling me that LinkedIn is spending all this time, energy, and money getting people tagged by topic and by skill, and they won't let you advertise to people by topic? You have to go by job title? That seems kind of crazy to me. I, unless I'm doing it wrong. It's perfectly valid assumption to think I'm doing it wrong. But uh, I thought when I went to set up ads, you had to target, uh, you could target company size and you could target job title, but I don't believe you could f- target skills because that would have been a whole lot nicer for me. <laughs> I think it'd be a whole lot nicer for everybody. Yeah, anybody. Yeah. Anybody yeah. wanting to target ads. So I have to go look and see if I'm stupid. <laughs> Either that or we have a marketing proposal for LinkedIn. Yeah, there you go. So um, I, I'm also kind of curious, what apps do you guys use to uh, manage your social media? I, uh, because I really only use Twitter, I exclusively use TweetBot, uh, which is on OS X as well as iOS. Um, I really like it because it's accessible and it's easy to use and it has a lot of features that I like. Like I can mute uh, tags or um, I can mute someone like if they're at a conference that I'm not particularly interested in. I can mute them for a day or for a week while they're there. And it's just really convenient to use. I like that it's like syncs a lot of the information between the desktop app and the iPhone app. Yeah, I'm using Tweetbot as well. Primarily, actually, on my desktop machine, not on my on my phone. I mean, every once in a while, I'll actually get on and check stuff. But Tweetbot is just awesome. And the nice thing is, is that it's got this little icon up in my taskbar. And so if I tap it, then I can see all of the tweets of the people I'm following. I can... Or, or how many there are, how many mentions, how many direct messages, all that stuff. And it's really easy to drill in and see what's going on there. So it's, it's really nice. I really like it too. Yeah, same for me, TweetBot for Twitter. And then uh, because I do a little, say still do a little bit on Facebook for my business page, I use Hootsuite. I'll collect up a bunch of links and then kind of put them up and schedule them out over the next three or four days nice. to, paste, to post to the Facebook page. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to automate that a little bit more and see if I can get a little bit more interaction. At least get like the the episodes posting when they get posted to the site and things like that. Yeah, I like a buffer app for that as well. Um, especially, I read a lot of articles, so I use Instapaper a lot, which is really nice that Tweetbot has Instapaper integration. But I'll um, I'll go through a spree where I'll spend a couple hours and read a bunch of my Instapaper and instead of kind of spamming Twitter with all of them. I'll throw them in buffer. And I have it post them like once every two or three hours. So they're separated enough um, where it doesn't look like I'm just dumping a bunch of stuff on Twitter. Yeah, I keep looking at Buffer, but haven't actually dug into it I've at all. I've looked at Buffer. I've looked at IFTTT. If this, then that. If this, then that, yeah. Um, which, all, which which will hook into Buffer. And and I like I like both of those, but I don't know. I my problem was just that I didn't want to take all of the time that it would take to figure out how to get them all to plug into each other nicely to to work. So uh, that's something on my list, but it's probably something on my list that I pay somebody else to do. I just tell them I want this when this happens over here. I want that to happen over there, and please figure it out for me. <laughs> I don't really care how. So one other thing that I've heard people do on social media is like they they set up timed tweets and things so that it's, you know, it's, hey, here's a Ruby tip or, hey, here's a database tip or did you want to learn this? Then here's an article about it. Do, Do you find that that kind of thing really helps or do you more organically just when you find something cool, you just tweet it? Yeah, I definitely, uh, just whenever I find something, I, I tend not to, like, have a giant list of things um, that I think about. It's just, like, I, I hit this weird bump in something, and if you run into it, this is how you fix it. I automate, like, when I put a new blog post up, I automate that through if this, then that, but that's it. Just the first post that happens. After that, it's all manual. I used to be a lot better when I was doing... Um... I used to have an RSS reader on my iPad, but after the demise or prophesized or announced demise of Google Reader, I abandoned the one I was using because it syncs directly with Reader and can't live on its own. And I haven't found a decent replacement on the iPad, so I moved all my RSS stuff back on the desktop, and I don't have a great way to share all the stuff I find through RSS anymore. And that... So that's, I don't know, I guess I could send it to Pinboard and have If This Then That pick it up and send it to Buffer and have Buffer tweet it out for me or something, but I just haven't picked that back up since I've had to switch how I consume RSS. Yeah, I had really... the same issue with Google Reader. I had it If This Then That starring when things got started sending it to Hootsuite as a draft, but once I've just abandoned it as well. So my auto-drafting in Hootsuite has not been happening and so then i have been do actually posting less to facebook huh interesting I'd, I'd really like to see you guys uh rss setups or what they used to be back when uh google reader was a thing or back before you abandoned it but yeah it, it, it's interesting if i find something cool i tend to just tweet it too i'm, I'm more along the lines of what ash does Oh, it's easier for me to use. It's easier for me to use Buffer in that case, especially if I'm just surfing because the Chrome extension for Buffer is just in the toolbar. So you're on a page and you click it, and then it's there. I don't have to copy and paste to whatever my Twitter client is, Echo Phone or something. But I mean, that yeah. Buffer is great for that. The mobile experience for Buffer is really nice too. There's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of app integration. So like I, I use that a lot for when I'm uh, reading Insta paper on mobile. Um, and then I'll just throw stuff in buffer from it right there because it has integration. It's just so much faster and nicer. So, I mean, I, I'm here. How should I put this? There's basically two reasons why I haven't really used Twitter so far. The first was I didn't really see what benefits I would get from it. And the second was it seems like it would, it, it always seemed to me like it would take a while. I know that sounds silly to say it'll take a while to write 140 characters, given that I'm spewing out incredible amounts of email each day. But I'm beginning to get convinced here that, you know, there's actually utility in using it because you're speaking with a community. You can actually have conversations, share things with people. But it sounds like these tools then make it also more or less instantaneous and trivially easy to share things with others. So the time factor basically goes away as well. Am I right in saying that? It depends. I use Twitter as my preferred means of communication. I really don't like email. And I like that Twitter kind of keeps you to a very small limit. So it gets ideas across really well. So a lot of the communication I do um, is over Twitter anyway. But I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, and that's because a lot of the work that I do involves the community and it involves people. So I, I probably spend um, all said and done about an hour a day just on Twitter. But it's considered part of my job for me. Um, so it depends. I mean, uh, you were talking about the, the benefits. And Twitter is really, the worth of it is really in your network. So if you don't have a lot of people that are providing value that you're following on Twitter, I, I definitely can see why a lot of people don't, can't find the worth in Twitter. But I, I kind of strive to have a lot of high quality people that I follow that, you know, I either really care about them personally or I care about the things that they're passionate about or we have a lot in common. So that provides me a lot of value. Yeah, the thing about conversations on Twitter, though, is that at some point they just get obnoxious and not the content or anything else, just the medium. I mean, Curtis was saying earlier that he spent 10 or 15 minutes this morning DMing a guy about some client stuff. And after the third DM or fourth DM, it'd be like, if I'm on Skype or I am, because this Twitter thing is really obnoxious, in my opinion. Yeah, but it's really just like I am. I suppose it's got a character limit, but it's just as instant, right? Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I There's get... something about I am clients that I tolerate more than Twitter clients, maybe. And the other thing... Um... Uh, like, if it's going to be a long-form conversation, I also, like, I prefer IRC over Twitter for that. But the the downside of Twitter is that your stuff kind of goes away. So your DMs will disappear after a while. You can't go so far back in your um, archive unless you actually download it and have something, like, constantly syncing all of that stuff. So it's difficult to get, like, logs. So if it's something with a client, I definitely want a log of that. So I'll do it in Skype or in some other kind of instant message uh, system that allows me to log that so I have, you know, information for the future because I know that Twitter is not a permanent. I think there's almost zero value in like all the tweets you've made and my, they're all tweets I've made in my entire life. It's not like I can do anything else with them. I have no, I don't care if I can download them. It just doesn't matter. It's the relationships that I think matter. I'm sure my rants on some obnoxious, obscure system are worthwhile. <laughs> Yeah, I have to agree with Curtis. You know, the, the real value in most of these systems, Facebook, Twitter, what have you, is that you're able to build and maintain relationships that, uh, you know, that, that are worth something. Either, you know, they're fulfilling just because you, you know somebody and, and have interactions that, that make you feel good about life or feel good about hanging out with them or whatever, or whether there's value in them because, uh, 
they eventually lead to um, to work. And uh, whatever the case is, you know, it, it really is the relationships that are going to pay off the most for you one way or the other. So are there any other social networks that you guys use? I mean, I can think of a few, but I'm curious. Well, Curtis said Google+, and I've been convinced to try to use that occasionally. And I don't know, it's probably been a long time now that they said you can merge all your Google accounts to one plus account. So that Because I have app accounts for a whole bunch of other stuff. But I never sign in as my regular Google user, but apparently you can merge all that stuff and it'd be interesting now. But I mean, it seems like, I, I don't know. Why do you use that, Curtis? What do you get out of Google Plus? Oh, there's some better longer form conversations there. I'm involved in a couple, or at least one group that has some decent talk about entrepreneurship um, and running. I guess they tailor it towards a WordPress business, but it really could be any business. It's not necessarily only one. So, and I think it's pretty. I like the new design. And that's not a group. That's not a Google group. This um, WordPress business one. It's um. It's not a Google what group. Is it a, it's a circle Google Plus or something? Community. Okay. It's a Google Plus community. So, it's essentially just a group, but it's only on Google Plus. Yeah, I really like the Google Plus communities or circles or whatever you want to call them. Um, I, I like those. I like the Hangouts. the The real problem I have with with it is that there aren't any third-party clients out there that I can use, like TweetBot. And so I kind of like having that notification. I have to say I've been using it more since I downloaded the Google Plus app on my phone, just because I get a notification that somebody said something to or about me or things like that, you know, or somebody in one of my circles said something interesting. But other than that, I, I don't get on there as often as I'd like to. There's a Chrome. It's a Chrome extension for everything, but it's almost like... <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like there's an app for that. There's a Chrome extension for that. I thought there was a Chrome extension for Google Plus. I know at least to share. I don't know if it does anything else, but let you share stuff. But well, I I feel like even if I'm not using, Google, I mean, I sometimes go in there and sort of see if anyone has posted anything. It's less of a ghost town than it used to be, from what I can tell. But I feel like Google, with their merging of all their services, I'm a Google Plus user, even if I'm not a Google Plus user. Right, it's taking my connections into account. It's 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 turning the UI into one unified uh, taskbar at the top there. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to the SEO folks, I mean, Google being the 800-pound gorilla of search engines, and they own YouTube and Google Plus is theirs. That I don't know. That's the social media network that you should be targeting if you care about SEO and other stuff, just because they integrate so well with search results, but. Well, and they have some neat stuff around authorship. So you can tag yourself uh, as an author in Google+, and then in your search results, actually, it will come up with your picture beside it. And there's a, actually a much larger increase in conversions. I know WordPress.org even set up their site so you can tag yourself like on your plugins or anything else you do on WordPress.org and have your picture come up beside them. Oh, that's very, that's very clever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the Google Plus authorship stuff, and you have to work with your Google Plus profile. And you can do it on any site, so you just have to put special HTML tags uh, in your header to refer to your profile, and then so you can do it with any system, really. Nice. Any other uh, social networks you guys want to talk about? I, I can talk about a few that I've used. One is uh, Reddit, and I tend to post things on Reddit, depending on the community again. But it's more of a link-sharing site for me, but I, I have seen folks get in there and start conversations on Reddit and, and have big, long discussions about important things that I 
don't care to read through. I'm a big fan of Reddit. I, for me, it's just another way to consume more junk to try to figure out what to do with like RSS. But I think there's some pretty decent conversations happening on certain subreddits. Um, our freelance is decent, and I, every, I mean, I mean, it's a typical discussion almost forum type site so every year or so someone will ask about contracts and then a few more months someone will ask about pricing and all this other stuff but i mean it's nice to have fresh perspective and i don't know i get a lot of reddit what about forums do you consider forums to be a type of social network or is it focused or different thing i don't know i just found most of them have died that i used to use i used to use uh what is it freelance switch used to have good forums but mostly it's spam now and it doesn't ever get cleaned up so yeah, they got killed, right? I mean, they they got taken down by some. I thought they got some malicious hack or something, and they could never recover from it. They tried oh, to switch. Maybe. I think I they tried the to switch. Their... Is still up as of like two months ago. No, and I know I met... it's still up, but I think they s- tried to switch their forum software like once or twice from like vanilla to PHPBB or something to try to try to deal with the spam issues. But yeah, I mean, it seems it seems like it's been pretty dead and not very useful anymore yeah and and uh i think somebody else mentioned hacker news um which sometimes i I found it kind of hit or miss like sometimes there's great stuff on there and sometimes there really isn't yeah yeah when my posts get popular there i always just wait for the trolls that's (laughs) yeah you're gonna get like hey you made a spelling mistake you used the incorrect form of there you're obviously a moron and why did your mother give birth to you which i've had an email like that really like this is what you had to do today I wish yeah. I had that much free time. Yeah. And I also have to mention that, uh, and, and Ash has pointed this out in the chat, but I've seen some pretty awful stuff on those two. Not awful in the sense of worthless, but awful in the sense of just people being mean to people. I blocked them both. I don't visit them. I blocked them both on Twitter. Just because they're they're not, uh, they're definitely not a safe place uh, when you're a woman or when you have a name that leads people to believe that you're a woman or a person of color. So it's just not a, a productive use of my time, and it raises my blood pressure a little bit too much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fair enough. That's say, unfortunate I... you have to do that, though. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I mean, especially when so much of the tech community, a lot of the social stuff and knowledge sharing goes on there, and that's a place that is basically like a gated community that's not a safe place for a lot of the people in our community to go. Well, so, I've, so I've actually, gone on there, and I've actually seen things that made me uncomfortable. And so it's it's not just women. I mean, there there's sometimes other things on there that are things you don't want to necessarily be involved with. What were you going to say, Reuven? I, I I was just curious, Ash. I mean, I guess you Chuck, you sort of answered this, but I was wondering if the the bad feelings, harassment, however you wish to describe it, that sort of bad community uh, feelings that you had, if those apply to the public forums or if people contact you directly individually and um, are, are are nasty in, in person as well. Uh, not not in person, um, but it's definitely um, the unfortunate thing about the way that uh, things like Reddit and Hacker News work is that you have people that are basically like jockeying to get the most points for a comment that they make. And unfortunately, a lot of our community isn't necessarily super mature and a lot of like sensationalism or just being kind of terrible will get, get people a lot of attention. So people are being rewarded for acting really terribly. And it's kind of a race to the bottom in that way. So not only do you get treated terribly in the comments, but um, I've also seen people like follow to Twitter, follow to Facebook. I've seen people's websites being taken down because of the way that they were treated or 
um, I have friends who've like written articles and the second they uh, show up on Hacker News, they'll delete the article because they just can't handle the kind of negative attention that they're going to get for something that would be otherwise totally benign. Yeah, I have to wow. say that when I use them, I typically don't read the comments. I just, if the link looks interesting, if the description looks interesting, then I'll click on it. Otherwise, I won't. Because same same thing that Ash is saying. Most of the time, I, I just don't want to read them. I have this feeling that when I next look through the comments on Hacker News, and I probably do check it out like once or twice a day, I'm, I'm my eyes are going to be open in a new way because I was totally unaware of this sort of thing. I wouldn't be surprised if... I saw such comments on occasion, just sort of rolled my eyes and said, oh, those stupid kids are trolling again, without paying attention to how often that was happening, though. Yeah, and I, I think that there's there's definitely a difference, too, between just, like, immature trolling and, uh, like, a lot of danger um, that happens in our community, especially around the harassment of women and people of color. I mean, there have been a number of situations that happened in the last few months that have definitely created very unsafe situations for people in their personal lives, in their jobs in their homes. So it's, it's just not something that like as a woman that I, I feel like is open to me or that I'm even interested in participating in. I'm, I'm curious, have you contacted, the, this might have no effect of course, but have you tried contacting the people, well Reddit is a big company, but maybe at Y Combinator? I'm curious to know what their reactions would be. Um, this is kind of a known problem. Um, there's an article, I don't know, from probably the last year or so where Paul Graham was kind of lamenting the direction that Hacker News has taken in part because of this kind of behavior. Um, and it's, it's kind of a symptom of the problem of this type, this type of communication, I think. I think it has to do a lot with, you know, like I said, we're specifically rewarding people for their negative behavior. But also, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that gets you attention. And the, the, um, one of the driving factors for using these things is, you know, having the most points, you know, you have the most upvotes and, and that kind of thing. So uh, part of it is that that's just kind of the way that the system works. And the other one is, especially on Reddit, that they believe that this is this is a free speech issue, and free speech only goes as goes so far when you're creating like a physically unsafe atmosphere for people. So Reddit hasn't been super quick to respond to a lot of like. I mean, I'm not going to go into specifics, but you can easily Google them. Like Reddit has a lot of really bad places on there. Um, that people have protested for a long time and Facebook is getting to be this way as well where, you know, that's popular content that's keeping people coming back to their site that tends to be their base users. So it's just their business at this point. Yeah, the only thing I want to add to this is that I have used them in the past. I, I don't use them as much anymore, but mainly that's because I'm not out there consistently trolling, not trolling, but, you know, looking around and trying to find uh, new things to go into. Usually I'll ask people at this point but uh, I used to use them to, to find new and interesting things to learn about. And for the most part, the links are pretty good. But uh, it's just the community that makes it really hard to deal with. Yeah, on Reddit, I stick to one community group that is fairly small and fairly technical. And that's about it. Share some good links. And that's after that, I don't bother with anything else. Unless a friend sends me an animated cat gif or something. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, anyway, um, I'm trying to think if there are any other social networks that, that... Well, so back to forums, because I don't think we ever answer that question unless Reddit and Hacker News... Well, I guess Hacker News is truly a forum. But it, so there are some, like... And uh, this probably gets way outside of social media because it's not completely social, but um, like membership sites, 
even when they get really big, like 5,000 BC is big-ish. I don't, well, I don't know how big-ish it is. Maybe 500 people. So that's not huge. And DC, uh, Dynamite Circle by um, the guys that do the Lifestyle Business Podcast. That's another one. I mean, there are a bunch of these membership sites. And I guess they would never be classified as social media just because they don't have the reach. So I guess that answers that question. Yeah, but at the same time, for me, um, a lot of the relationships that I build because these are smaller communities that I belong to, um, and so the interactions are a little bit closer, more personal. They, they kind of serve the same purpose. It's just that you're you're more in a tighter knit group. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, that that's that's kind of where I was going with, you know, are they or aren't they? And I think you can drive a lot of the same benefits, but you're also better able in a lot of ways to build personal relationships with the other people in the group. So. Anyway, I don't know if there are very, very many others that we could talk about. And to be honest, we're just about out of time. So, MySpace, come on. <laughs> you mean my funky looking underscore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I, Do I, they still exist? I don't know. I just they, said it. They, they got bought. They've been redesigned. I've heard they're coming back, but I haven't heard it from anyone who actually... Um, what I haven't heard that from anyone who I would actually get on there to interact with. So let's just put it that way. Anyway, um, let's go ahead and wrap up the show and, uh, get to our picks. So we'll, we'll make Reuven go first. Oh, shucks. Thanks. Okay. So I have three picks for this week. Uh, the first is, uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm in Beijing and someone like me who keeps kosher, you know, Avoiding pork in Beijing, not an easy task. Fortunately, there's happycow.net, which is a uh, worldwide directory of vegetarian restaurants with reviews. Definitely useful and often uh, complimentary to TripAdvisor. So definitely recommended. I've also been uh, doing my, uh, I mean, I'm still working on my PhD dissertation, and I recently signed up with a site called Mouseflow. And it's pretty amazing. It takes snapshots of people using your website so you can see them moving their mouse around and clicking on things and not clicking on things. Uh, and you can even download the movies. I know there are a few companies that do this. I spoke with a company called Clicktail and found that they were way more expensive and also did not let you buy it online. And Mouseflow, they had a really cheap uh, option. I went, bought it with my credit card, upgraded when I saw how great it was, and their service has been pretty responsive as well. And uh, my last pick is... Since I'm teaching a Python class, I've been looking into a bunch of Python resources, and I found this thing called the this site called Python Module of the Week. And I'm not sure if it's really updated every week, but it's an amazing thing that basically uh, every so often, perhaps even every week, uh, he goes through one of the modules, uh, either in the standard library or that's uh, available on PyPy, on the uh, repository for Python modules, and describes it. You can think of it sort of like Railscasts, but not video. Uh, and it's really great and very well written and has a pretty rich and deep uh, list of modules for people who are using Python. Uh, so anyway, those are my picks for this week. Awesome. Uh, Jeff, what are your picks? I've got two. The first one is an XKCD comic from, I don't know, last week. It's called Is It Worth the Time? And it's basically uh, two graphs to say whether or not it's worth really trying to automate something. And the other is of absolutely no use at all to freelancers, but just interesting to sci-fi nerds. And it's um, Singularity Hub has an article about 78,000 people that signed up for the colonization of Mars from Mars One. It's just nerd stuff. But that's it. 
Nice. Ash, what are your picks? Uh, I've got a couple. So since we were talking about social networks today, um, I use Favstar a lot, and it uh, lets me know um, when people are retweeting or favoriting my tweets, and it also kind of lets me see uh, what my friends are favoriting and retweeting um, in their streams to see what extra value I can be getting on Twitter. Um, the next one is Feedly, and that's kind of where I decided to go after Google Reader. Uh, it's really nice, has a really nice uh, mobile app as well as a desktop app, and I really love the keyboard shortcuts on it, and it's 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 a pretty uh, it's pretty different way um, that I'm used to to navigate RSS feeds. Uh, if you try it out, it's free. You'll kind of see what I mean, but it's really neat. And then my third one, because I'm traveling so much and it saves my life so much, is uh, TripIt Pro, which is kind of like an itinerary aggregator. Uh, but it's also nice because it'll tell me um, if my flight is delayed or if my dates change. A lot of times it tells me long before the Delta app decides to notify me. Uh, and especially uh, I had some travel issues over the past couple weeks, so it definitely made my life a lot easier. Those are my three. Awesome. Curtis, what are your picks? Uh, first one would be the Chrome Messenger Bag. I do a lot of biking, and it is a fully waterproof messenger bag that is very large. I've actually taken it as my sole bag uh, to go down to Seattle for a conference even, which is like an eight-hour bike ride for me. And my second one would be the Philips Flex Headphones, just a super care pair, or super comfy pair of headphones to take out to the coffee shop. And my third, I have a nice dual monitor set up, and I have an Ergotron monitor stand that allows me to have them, I guess, one in the standard and one flipped side beside it. And you can actually put this monitor stand up to four. I think six monitors, actually, if you get a different arm and a longer longer pole to make the back higher. Oh, nice. I've got uh, Ergotron, but they each of my stands only holds one monitor. I love those things, though. Yeah, I have a fairly tiny desk. Like, I cannot fit two monitors in the normal orientation side by side because there's two shelves on either side. So I can't, and my desk is right against the wall, so I can't have, like, a, one that you can move around or anything. It's just a fixed pole that you can, it's height adjustable, and you can slide them kind of in and out on the arm, but that's it. Nice. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and share my picks. My first pick is a book called Authority. Um, I'm trying to remember who the author is. But uh, I've been reading it, and it is it is really, really useful. It's by Nathan Barry, B-A-R-R-Y. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. But anyway, he talks about basically the business of writing books, e-books, uh, in this book. But there's a ton of great marketing advice in here, and it's actually inspired me to go and pick up a few other books on email marketing and landing pages. So uh, I, I'm really, really enjoying it. Another pick that I have is a uh, game that I picked up from my iPhone. Um, my nephews were giving my dad crap because he was on only on level one of Candy Crush, and uh, apparently that's a big deal. So, oh my god, I hate Candy Crush. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I went and got it, and I've been playing it, and uh, it's pretty fun. So uh, anyway, those are my picks, and uh, I guess we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week. We're going to be talking to. Uh, Jevin, I'm going to slaughter his name, Jevin Malthace, Malthace, something like that. Anyway, he's going to be talking to us about uh, basically technology-based um, objections during the sales process. So if you're selling Rails, how to handle objections where people want PHP or something else, uh, that kind of thing. So anyway, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week. <laughs>